This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 307. And the quote of the day is, learning as you go is better than not going at all. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 307. And if you want to check out all of these episodes, there's only about 300 of them on iTunes, or only 300 of them on iTunes. That's as many as can be stored on there. But they're all at drummersresource.com, so you can just go there and go through all of the archives. And this is a archive of sorts. This is a masterclass that I did with Brendan Buckley a while back for Drummers Resource Pro, but wanted to share it with you as well as part of the podcast. So we, I've already done, I've already had Brendan on the podcast, I should say, and I'll leave the link to that in the show notes if you want to hear a lot of his backstory, how he got to playing with Shakira and his long history and long career that he's had. So this is more of a Q&A session. We talk a lot about touring, getting gigs. Uh, doing learning sequencing, a bunch of different stuff. So a really interesting conversation. And I wanted to share it with you because I think there's a ton of knowledge in here. Before we get into it, I want to let you know about something really cool going on with Dream Symbols called the Tasting Tour. And what this is, it's a chance for you to go into select retailers and Dream brings all their symbols there. There's about they bring about 70 different symbols. You can play them, you can check them out, you can you can hear how they sound. Obviously, you can purchase them, you can talk to people who know the line in inside and out, and they can answer all your questions and really gives you a chance to see what all the hype's about with these symbols. And the one that's going on now between September 17th and October 1st is at the Drum Loft in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And again, you can go there, you can check out all these symbols, you can play them, learn more about them. September 17th through October 1st at the Drum Loft in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And to learn more about these tasting tours, you can go to dreamsymbols.com. Now let's get into it with Brendan Buckley. So Brendan, first of all, thanks thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. It's uh, my pleasure. So for those of you who may or may not know, uh, we I, I did a podcast with Brendan two weeks ago that, that came out. So there's a lot of information already on the site about him specifically, and if you want to check that out, uh, just go to drummersresource.com, and it's free to listen to. It's part of the podcast. But this is to dive in deeper and to answer some of your questions and you know, sort of, sort of dive into into his mind. We're going to talk about practice techniques. We're going to talk about some some gigging things. Uh, any questions that people have about gigging? Maybe some things about because I know that you play with like sequencers and and different things like that. So maybe we can talk a little bit about electronics and things like that. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. The first question is going to come from me, and I'm going to ask you. Uh, what is your favorite type of espresso? What's favorite the key? Of well, first of all, what's the key to a good espresso? Because I'm an, I I love espresso, so we're gonna I'm gonna, I gotta ask you I gotta get my question in, and then uh, and then we'll we'll start ask, answering everybody else's. Okay, question. this is great. This is a great topic because I talk about coffee a lot with my friends. Okay, and um, uh, one second, let me just ask you a technical question. If I can't hear sure. my own voice, we're still cool, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, so I have a lot of coffee lover friends out there, mostly drummers, and uh, I don't make my own coffee in my own house. That's a thing. Like I'm, I haven't gone out and bought a fifty thousand dollars special machine, and I, I just patron really great coffee shops. So uh, I, I am not a barista. I am a coffee lover and drinker. So uh, my favorite coffee bean right now is made by a place in San Francisco called Four Barrel Coffee. If you're in, in San Francisco, there's a couple main places up there. Ritual uh, is a good one. Eyesight, is that what it's called? No, Sight Glass. Sight Glass is really good. But I like a place called Four Barrel. Now, uh, every bean, it com you know, they come from different places. They're all made differently. They all have different notes like wine. You know, some are chocolatey, some are acidic, some are fruity, whatever. Uh, so uh, in the end, I just like something that's uh, got a little bit of bite, but isn't gonna, you know, taste like rotten motor oil or something. Right. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it, you know, I'd, uh, and and it's funny. E equally important is the amount of milk someone uses and the way they steam the milk. You know, they can ruin a coffee by just dousing it in too much burnt milk also. So, you know, just a little bit of milk, warmed but not burnt, that's another good trick too. And, and there, uh, you yeah, there you have it. I love it. We actually tricked you guys. We're actually just going to talk about food, wine, and espresso. I would uh, love that. <laughs> All right, so the first question is from Michael Scott that says, how do you stay motivated when practicing challenging material and what type of goals do you set when creating a practice routine? Okay, uh, great, great question. Uh, I think uh, off the top of my head, I would say that I develop my practice routines normally around the gigs that I'm required to do. Uh, meaning, if I uh, if I have some like hard rock gig coming up, I'm playing uh, three months with this band. It's power. It's you know heavy. It's a lot of fast beats or whatever. Then I'm going to work on that stuff. I'm going to work on my loud volumes, my accuracy, my rim shots, my, you know, stamina, uh, posture, uh, things like that. If I'm working, uh, if I have some kind of acoustic-y, jazzy sort of thing where I'm going to be playing a lot of brushes and mallets and buzz rolls and swells, then I'm going to work on a totally different type of technique. And I develop exercises around the techniques I think will be needed to perform those gigs well. Um, and uh, and I really love almost you know customizing my practice routines to a specific job. Uh, if it's if there are a lot of slow tempos, obviously I'll work on slow tempos. Uh, uh, you know, feeling subdivisions within the click. You know, if you're playing a 62 BPM song, I'll try to you know feel 62 BPM and all the 16th notes in between the notes, um, whether I'm playing them or not. Sometimes they're just implied. I work on different dynamics, going from soft to loud, back to soft again. Um, if the if the job has a lot of shuffles, then we're working on triplets. We have to work on our triplet fills, our triplet interpretations, how tight to swing them, how loose to make them feel. Um, um, yeah, and then if I have uh, sometimes I feel like I'm completely prepared. For all of my gigs, I have all the songs memorized, I have all the tempos worked out, I, everything. Then I'll just work on chop stuff. And I have plenty of exercise chops-wise that I, I, I'm still struggling with to try to get better at. I, you know, I'm forever motivated to be a better drummer, 
besides just a, a better musician and a, and a better band member, I'm also trying to be a better drum technician also. Uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe only to the less is more meat and potatoes school of drumming. I love drums for drum's sake too. So I'll listen to some great you know, inspirational drummers out there and I'll, I'll try to figure out some really tough beats or some really tough fills or some physically difficult uh, challenging um, skills to to work on in the in the drum universe. So, um, and definitely, it's about balancing your time. If you have an hour a day to practice, you should probably spend 45 minutes of that really working on the fundamentals of the gig you have to do, the band you're in, or the job coming up, and maybe another 15 minutes working on your creativity and fun improvisatory explorations and stuff. Uh, next question. So we talked about this a lot in the podcast, but briefly, uh, if you could describe how you got the Shakira gig. Yeah, uh, no problem at all. Um, I was living in Miami. I, I went down there to study at the music school in Miami, which is the University of Miami School of Music. That's uh, Stephen Rucker and Stephen Bagby were the teachers there. Uh, and it's a great school. And they at that school, you're in a city, and they encourage you to gig a lot. So... Um, you know, uh, it's about taking classes. It's also about forming groups and going out and playing live every night at the local clubs and venues. So I would say probably by the time, well, definitely by the time I was a freshman, but probably by the time I was a junior, I was already, already working pretty steadily in the local scene, playing gigs and doing, you know, small time sessions and demos for people. And I had a band and we were signed even. And, um, and then I, I remember a friend of mine who was an engineer, producer, came to one of my gigs, and uh, we traded numbers, and uh, he said, I, I got something coming up I want to use you for. I'm like, cool. And it, was, it wound up, he called me in to, to record some songs for a Shakira record. That was 1998. And, um, yeah, I did five songs on that record, which was her second album. And, uh, and yeah, ever since then, I've been called back to do the gig, the live shows, and, you know, at least a portion of every record. Uh, next question. So the, I'm actually going to combine two questions. One is from Dylan and one is from Joe. Uh, one says, can you speak about balancing having a family and being a professional drummer? And Joe asked, what are some things that you've had to sacrifice as well in order to be a full-time, in order to be a full-time drummer? So I think those those two questions sort of go hand in hand. So one, how, how do you balance being, being married? You have, I know that you have a young, young son as well. And then also, um, you know, what, what are some things that you've had to sacrifice? Uh, it's, this is, you know, this is, uh, it's very personal, uh, not personal, like I won't share it, but personal, like it, everyone, you know, is going to do it their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some friends who got married when they were 22 and popped out three kids right away. I was, kind of the guy who waited a long time. You know, I, I spent my 20s deciding I was going to be a dedicated, struggling artist. I'd read books on struggling artists, and I, I romanticized the idea of just working and working and working and struggling and, you know, being penniless, but doing it for the love of music. And I never thought of having a wife or a house, or a son, or anything. I just wanted to be a musician. I loved it so much, you know? And I think it's good to go through that phase. I think if you want to, I think most people who become good at something, 
Uh, if, for instance, if we say you're going to be good at drums, it's it's not the guys who necessarily had the great talent when they were 15. It's the guys who never gave up. You know, most of the people, uh, for instance, in in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they, there's a there's an expression that says uh, black belts are just white belts who never gave up. You know, and I think about the same thing with successful drummers. There, every week, uh, the music industry gives you a reason to quit. And you have to st stop and say, you know what, I'm, I love this so much, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and I think you need to spend a period of your time uh, practicing and dedicating yourself to a craft. And then you get to a certain level where you're working often and you feel, maybe you feel a little empty or maybe you feel a little unbalanced. All I do is eat, breathe, sleep drums. You know, maybe you need to say, I, maybe I'm going to read a book or maybe see a movie or maybe I'm going to go hang out with my friends for a change or maybe I'm going to go out on a date and you know then you start feeling other things in life and, and think maybe a balanced life is, is also important too. So I think I went through the period of you know asceticism of just torturing myself to be a better drummer and then I decided that I also wanted to see what else life had to offer and uh, you know have a more of a balanced life. So, uh, and, and it, it can be difficult if you don't have a partner who loves what you do and is very understanding. But fortunately, I, I have a wife that definitely uh, supports what I do and encourages me. And, uh, and I also, in return, uh, out of gratitude, I really try to m balance things and make things work where I'm being a good husband, provider, father. I have, a, you know, a son, so I spend a good amount of time with him when I can. And uh, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of it's about scheduling. We talked about that in the podcast. A lot of it is about, like, you know, I make, you know, family stuff as important as gigs. You know, I, I have a, uh, you know, I have a session on Sunday, and then I have a, you know, take my kid to pre preschool on Monday. And, and they're, they're equal importance in, in, the, in the calendar, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that helps a lot, too. So, uh, oh, hold on, let me... Okay, so uh, let's see. Have you ever encountered a professional situation that, looking back, you would have handled differently, whether it was a situation with a bandmate, a scheduling conflict, a money thing, whatever? Thanks, and that's from Andrew. Yeah, good question also. That, I, I would have to say absolutely. Um, so I mentioned just a, a few minutes ago that I went to music school, and music school, any music school is not going to give you the knowledge to negotiate business deals. You know, to uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna tell you you know you know how the music industry really works. You know, you might learn how to play like Philly Joe Jones or or study some Terry Bozio groups, but you're not gonna know you know how to uh, deal with uh, a manager who's trying to nickel and dime you or something. So there are many things I learned along the way um, that were business oriented that I wished I had handled differently. Um, but I guess there is no other way really to learn it just than just uh, paying your dues and right. you know putting in the, the time and, and learning from your mistakes. So I, I think I did make many mistakes along the way, nothing tragic, but little things along the way where uh, I probably shouldn't have um, made such a big deal out of that one thing. And I, maybe I shouldn't have you know put my foot down so hard about this thing I used to be extremely black and white about subjects and I'm like you know I had very principle oriented I'm like this is not right unless we do this <laughs> it's 
it's immoral. You know, I, I had this, you know, way of looking at things. Where, and now I, I, I realize that it's, you know, you have to pick and choose your battles. You know, uh, there's a lot of gray area in negotiation, and I, I have a much different approach now to handling, um, uh, you know, I guess, a conflict than I did when I was 24. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're that age too, you're sort of like hot-headed, and you know, you're. It's not you specifically, but just us as as humans. We're sort of, you know, we're we're uh, not as seasoned, I should say, at that at yeah. that age. And then once you get it's older, only, you're just like, yeah, you pick and choose your battles, and it's only natural. I mean, uh, you know, experience and wisdom change things, and and you know, hindsight. Uh, I think it's really that's why it's so easy to be punk rock when you're. 14 or 17, uh, you know, where you're like, you don't care about consequences and you care about how you feel and, and, and immediacy. It's really difficult to be like a punk rocker when you're 58 because you see right. the world, uh, you know, and you see all the good and bad and everything. And you, it, it's, it's funny. I, I, I think about how impassioned I was as a young, as a youth, you know, and, and, and how much I would debate over everything, and I would argue over everything, and and now I'm I'm about you know peace. Let's just get along. Let's solve this problem and move on. You know, right. it's, it's it's different. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so the next question is, what's your approach to playing music you don't really like, and how does one play something that fits the song when he doesn't really feel it? Hmm. Good. 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 Yeah, uh, I guess as a freelance musician, this comes up often. You know, maybe if you're writing your own songs and your own parts for your own band, you have a little more ability to decide, you know, I hate this song or I hate this section. But sometimes I get hired to play a concert for an artist and I don't like the way they sing. I don't like the tunes. Uh, so I try to, um, I try to pull back a little bit and say, what do I like? And you know what I like? I like playing the drums. So I'm going to just ignore the melodies and that irritating voice I'm hearing right now, and I'm just going to focus on the drums. I'm going to play the drums the way I, I, like, like I love them. You know? And I always, I always find that that's a comfort zone for me, is mm -hmm. to just, it's just to sink into the beats. And, like, and I enjoy it. I try to like, play the crap out of the beats, you know, even if I don't like the music. And... Uh, I guess as low as it can get is when I can't even stand the beats to someone's music. Like, wow, these grooves are terrible. That becomes uncomfortable for me. And then I have to start editing and saying, maybe, um, do you mind if I massage a few things and alter a few things so I, it's a little more musical to my, to my taste, you know? And, you know, usually uh, if I if I do it correctly and politically correctly, I can do that. I can say, you know what, this I think this drum part is clashing a little bit. Can we do something that makes more sense? <laughs> and would you uh, walk away from the gig if 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 you weren't able to do that and you were just you know miserable? Not miserable, I, but just like yeah. Just like really, we're like, man, I hate this. I hate every yeah. minute of this. Well, we're spe we're speaking hypothetically, but I sure. would say hypothetically, I would not walk away from the gig if I had a job to do. If I were hired to play uh, this Friday a concert for this person, it's a big showcase for them, and you know, I would do the job, but I probably wouldn't do it again when they called me up the next time. Uh, uh, that's probably how I would approach it. 
I, I, I had a friend who is a good friend of mine, and he gave me, uh, I, you know, I pick up lots of good advice along the way, and one of his things was, you know, you don't have to say no to everything. You don't have to argue with people about money or music or everything. You could just be available or unavailable. That's how you politely, you know, you know, how you insert Turn down yeah, you you just you show your preference by saying, "Oh, I would love to work with you whenever you you need me." And another person, you could say, "You know what? I'm sorry, I can't do that show with you." And and it doesn't have to be, "I hate your music" or "You don't pay right, me enough" right. or anything. It's like, you know, I'm not available to work to do those next several gigs with you. And that's sure. probably how I would, I would approach it if I found the people, the music, or the beats so irritating that it was turning my stomach, which doesn't happen very often, right. but if it did happen, that's probably how I'd approach it. Right. So this next question, uh, more of a technical question, what would you recommend in order to track out the different tempos of each song for a live concert? Let's say you have the first one at 60 BPM and then the next one is at 100 BPM. How would you manage that? Like what, what equipment do you use? Okay, uh, are we talking about learning the tempos or are we talking about having click tracks for every song uh, when we're performing live? Uh, I'm not sure. So Okay, I'll, I'll answer that. both. I'll answer okay. both. I, I have a uh, I have a couple tap tempo programs. My metronomes are on my iPhone, and the one I use a lot now is Live BPM. Live BPM. My friend Kevin Stevens turned me on to that. I think uh, he's a he's a drummer here in LA that I went to school with actually in Miami. But uh, that's a great one um, because it just listens to music and tells you what the BPM is. So I'll just lay it next to my computer while I'm learning songs and writing out charts, and I just stare at it every now and then. It's oh, it's 128. Cool, and I write that down. Sometimes if the if the tempo of the song moves, you can just watch it and say, oh, I notice it goes up to 130 on the chorus. It's interesting, and I note it. That's a great program to have on your you know iPhone or Android device. And then uh, for playing live and having tempos readily available, I like something like the uh, like the the Roland. Uh, there's a Roland DB uh, uh, metronome or a, um, a very popular low low budget one is a Tama Rhythm Watch. It allows you to program a set list. So you can program, I can't remember if it's 20 or th let's say just 20 songs, 1 through 20. Uh, it allows you to program a set list of tempos and you can just either advance with a button or even have a foot switch coming out of the, the metronome. So you can say song number 1, 68, and you play it. And then song number 2 is at 88. It's already set. And you're just going through. You have a you have a set list of songs. Say there's ten songs, and you have a set list of tempos on your metronome, and you just click through them. Uh, you know, I, I do that. I know um, Sean Pelton from uh, the Saturday Night Live band. I know he has that on stage with him because he has very little time to count off some of those songs, and he needs to get them right. You know, so I think he has one of those on stage with him with a little foot switch counting off every tempo to every song um, for that weekend show. So it's very very convenient. And, um, you know, the, people use other devices, but that's a really easy way to do it. Cool. Uh, Joe asks, what are some platforms you're currently leveraging in order to market yourself as a working drummer? Platforms leveraging. That's interesting. I would say the, the number one platform I still use to leverage is word of mouth. Is uh, is face-to-face uh, -face meetings, uh, hanging out with musician friends, um, making old-school phone calls where you talk to people over the phone, 
And what? then what is that? I know, I know, it's amazing. Hello, this is my voice. You remember this? And then um, um, you know, traffic is a good thing for that. If you're in traffic, call a friend, catch up with them. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to catch up with them and say, hey. If you hear if you hear anything, let me know. You know, just catch up with people. You know, say what are you up to nowadays? How, how's life treating you? And uh, when you're in, when you're friends with someone and you're in their, uh, you know, they're, you're 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 in their mind. Uh, it's it's funny how much they'll recommend you for things because they remember you. Like, ah, oh, I just talked to uh, you know Nick uh, uh, two days ago, and maybe he'd be into doing this. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have things like text messaging, emailing. I know this sounds very rudimentary, but I believe these are the best ways to network and, and establish your your um, yourself, your personality, your brand as a as a working musician. And I'm going in order of meeting people, going out, seeing shows, getting coffees or lunches with people, hanging out, talking to them on the phone, texting, emailing. You know, then you have your Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitter and things like that where you can still post things about what you're up to. Your friends can see what you're up to. Um, and uh, that's a good way to say, oh, I didn't know you were also in London. Let's get together. And uh, that happens so often. I bump into people all along the road when, uh, when I find out that I write, hey, I'm here for the weekend, and someone else says, I'm also here playing a show. And you get together and you hang and... Um, you know, two bands unite and hang out for the weekend like expats. Um, and I have a website, and you know, I always direct people toward there because I come from an era where you like way back, way back when you had to audition for a gig, you have to get a big padded envelope and put CDs and a resume and a bio right. and a photo in that, and you'd have to FedEx it to someone. Now you just say, uh, you know, oh, you want to do that gig? Just um, go to my website, and there's some photos and you know things that I've done. On there. Right. Um, besides that, uh, I would say just you know listen to the Drummers Resource podcast and uh, and uh, you know that would give you all you need to know about you know the business <laughs> side of music. I like it. I, he he got paid to say that. Um, so just to to sort of add to what you were saying, when I was commuting. You know, or when I was splitting time between Philly and New York, I would always see people in Philly, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know you were here this, you know, this weekend or or whatever. I I had a gig for you," and it's sort of like, "Well, why didn't you call me?" It's like, "Oh, I didn't think you'd be around." So out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, Absolutely. to where if you're not letting people know, like, "Hey, just so you know, I'm I'm around," or if you were doing a tour and maybe you're not on the tour anymore. Or, or if you were, you know, you were always with this band or doing this thing or something and just sort of saying, hey, you know, like, I'm around. If you need, call me. I, let me turn down the gig. Yeah. Then, then, you know, just take me off the list of people who you don't call. Yeah, my friends and I joke about that all the time, how it's just it's amazing how, you know, people will just always write you off just saying, hey, yeah, you know, I, I would have used you for this thing, but I thought you were out of town or I thought you wouldn't be into it or I thought you were... Or something. Right. You, it's, it's, you always have even your best of friends. You have to remind them. Hey, by the way, um, I finished that tour, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm back now. And uh, I've been home for six months. Use me. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's a little weird, but the I guess whether you're into networking or not into networking, you have to at least do that amount, or else you're not doing yourself service. You know. Right.
Right. Uh, so the next one is from Joe. During the creative process of writing music, do you prefer to write drum parts on your own or collectively with other musicians? Oh, okay, great idea. Um, well, you know, it's always so different. Sometimes I'll get, sometimes I'll get a song with no rhythm at all on it. So I'll just write my own drum parts to it. Maybe it's a, it's a demo with an acoustic guitar only and voice. And then I'll think all the different ways we can throw beats underneath it. Uh, you know, four on the floor, something syncopated, something turned around, uh, you, know, um, you know, really really straight up and down or something really weird. And, uh, and I'll try, try out a bunch of different things till I find out what works. And, and then I'll bounce that off the other people. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting into a room together and banging out stuff and seeing what feels the best. And um, maybe recording it, listening back, and saying, hey, I like the idea, but what if we did something different here? So I kind of like both, but I do, I guess, that being said, I do like the idea of having a way to listen back to your ideas objectively, you know, and uh, as mm -hmm. objective as you can be, like recording it and, you know, sitting back and listening like an observer and really seeing what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, not just what feels good when you're sitting behind a drum set, because sometimes a beat that f feels great to play doesn't really serve the song or sound that great sometimes, even though you're right. sure, like, this is the coolest thing to do right here. And then you listen back, you're like, eh, I don't know. Now when I'm, I'm sitting on this other side of the room listening at it being played at me through a stereo, I don't like it as much. So I think right. it's really good to have a way to record your ideas, whether you're coming up with them on your own or coming up with them with a bunch of musicians in a room together to sit back, listen to it as a recorded version, even if it's only on your iPhone or something like that, and, and really you know, kind of hack away at it till it seems like the best part for each section. And it's amazing how different something sounds at playback that versus like live in a room. Oh yeah, it just, it's totally. And then you go listen to it and you're like, whoa! Like well, I'm playing too many notes, or like this thing's just not working, or what the hell? Like it's it's amazing the difference between what it sounds like when you're in the room and then what it sounds like in playback. Oh yeah, I'll give you a good example. Is I, I I'm a you know self-professed uh, Stuart Copeland fan fanatic. Right. Uh, I well, I, I loved every single police record, you know, every drum part for every police record growing up, right? And I can't tell you how many times I tried to throw those into songs. Like um, like every session and every time I'm in a band, I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be cool, it'd be that kind of thing that's on uh, Message in a Bottle. I'll do that right here, and I'll do. Th and always. Like the oh yeah, <laughs> on the, the rim click thing, yeah. Uh, oh, there's so many times where I'm like, you know what, this would work out great right here, and then, uh, you know, and, and my and the band members would like kind of smile and nod, like, all right, you know, not bad, you know, we'll we'll live with that idea, and then I listen back and I'm like, what am I doing? That is so not working there. It you know, it, it worked great on Regatta de Blanc or whatever, but it does not work <laughs> in this band, you know. You know, imagine, you know, I don't know, if you're, it's like it's you have everything's in context, you know, it's about taste. You know, and 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 um, you try to throw the wrong style of drumming into the wrong band, and nine times out of ten it doesn't work. Every now and then that juxtaposition is the coolest thing ever, but sometimes it's about really nailing the style and and yeah. and you know substance correctly. So it's like if you put if you put Carter Beaufort with John Mayer, just it's just probably not gonna make sense. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Because he, he plays a lot of notes, but then he it works for Dave Matthews Band because that's that's what it is. So yeah, exactly. That's a great example of an anomaly. How somehow his drumming worked great with that band, but yeah, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have worked with a lot of other singer songwriters. You know, it, right? Just that. Right. So Dylan asks, is being a session drummer a worthy goal, or is it more out of your control in the sense that it's just a byproduct of gigging with artists? Yeah, that's something that a lot of drummers, actually, we all talk about that with one another. It's uh, Being a session drummer is a little bit more difficult now than it, is, than it was back when session drumming was an industry. Like I would say from 19... 65 to 1995 or something, there was a heavy demand. You know, business works with supply and demand, right? And there was a demand to put out records constantly. There was an audience for it. There was a a need for songs to be recorded and drum parts to be laid down onto two-inch tape every day, multiple times a day around the planet. So there was a need for great skillful drummers, hence Hal Blaine, Earl Palmer, Jeff Piccaro, Jim Jim Keltner, and all the legends we can think of that were the session greats. And Hal Blaine had like a yacht and a Rolls Royce. Exactly, like, exactly. Uh, and I don't want to like, you know, talk about doomsday, but just it has changed a bit. Not only has electronics changed the amount of the need of live drumming, uh, you know, how you listen to the radio, how many times, if you're listening to a pop radio, how many times do you hear a song with live drums on it? Maybe 30% of the time, maybe 15%, maybe if you're lucky, 40 but uh, it's not the same amount as it used to be 100% of the time. And also, um, budgets are smaller, there's less records being made, uh, there's more records being made in, um, in people's, you know, bedrooms or whatever. I go to my friend's studios all the time. Uh, my friends, hey, come over to my studio. It's the size of a closet. And this is like a Grammy-winning producer, but he can do everything in his little closet studio, and he does it like that. So uh, the industry has changed. So to say I want to be a professional session drummer is is difficult and nowadays. It's like saying I want to be the world's greatest um, marionette uh, uh, puppeteer right now. It, you can do that, and that's great, but it's – a lot less of a need than it was back in the medieval times, you know. Right. So uh, I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't go for that. There, I have a couple friends in LA that are ridiculous session drummers, and they work all the time. But there is, they'll even tell you there's a lot less work than there used to be for them, and it's difficult for them to make ends meet. And they're the they're the number one, two, three, and four drummers in LA, you know. And right. and and they're then they and and also you hear stories about in the 80s where session drummers did not tour. Because they were they were working six days a week all day long and making you know a couple grand every day and didn't need to take tours. Now every session drummer will do a tour when it, when when it's you know offered to the right one offered to them at the right time they'll do it because it, it's a great way to supplement um, you know the holes in your session calendar. And uh, I always try to keep one foot in both worlds where I'm totally down to do that two-week tour or that two-month tour, but I'm also really, I would really love to schedule in that record or that three-song session, whatever, if possible, on, on the off days, and I try to go back and forth. So, I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great thing to, to, not to cut you off, it's a great thing to aspire to have all the skills to be a session drummer. I want to great time, great tone, I want to be able to nail things in one take. Uh, 
but I think it's 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 a different thing to say I'm going to give up everything to try to just network and be a recording guy. It's you, right. it, people do that, but it's really hard. It's really narrowing down your 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 job opportunities. I think it's sort of. I mean, years ago it was like I'm either a touring guy or I'm a session guy. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, and now it's just you know, and we talked about it on the podcast too. You sort of just have to have multiple irons in the fire all the time. Yeah, yeah, so. I like like ex- exactly it. I mean, I have like I said, I have a couple of friends of mine who I admire because they are some of the workingest guys, drummers in the studio or in, in on this planet, and they will still take other gigs because mm-hmm. it's not like it used to be. You know, they yep. work two two days a week as opposed to six days a week in the studio. So they're looking for other work. They have wives and kids and houses too, so they need to pay bills. Mm-hmm. So and um, you know, and and unfortunately, part of being a good recording drummer is being available at the last minute. I I do miss out on a lot of opportunities when I uh, because they'll call me and say, Hey, are you free this Monday and Tuesday? And I'm on the other side of the planet. I'm like, I could get back by Friday if that's cool. And they're like, No, nah, it's got to be Monday and Tuesday. But thank you anyway. So right. that happens. That's that's um, you know, I'll be totally frank with you. That's like the the uh, the other side of it is if you're working too much, they they want they want to get the guy who is available right away because a lot of the sessions happen at the last minute. So it used to be guys used to wait around. They wouldn't tour because they wanted to be available for all those last-minute things. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wish I could do that, but I don't think I could just wait around for every last-minute recording session. I like to kind of book things as far in advance as I can so I know that I have some work. So sure. I don't know. Everyone does it differently, and there's not one way. I mean, some guys are, are do more stuff in the studio. Some guys do more stuff on the road. Some guys will just get a good TV show gig, and they're in, in the house band of a TV show, and that's their gig. And some guys supplement their drumming with a lot of uh, teaching, which is awesome too. And uh, you know, so there's there's a different balance for every guy out there. Mm-hmm. It's about surviving. Next question is from Michael. Said, so "What is your process for learning songs? Do you have specific method uh, to chart them out, or you just learn them by ear?" Um, yeah, uh, well, do uh, this camera that I'm looking into, the, the, are the subscribers seeing it? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I, I'm in my studio right now, so why don't I just see what I have here. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a specific, I have a routine I like to do, and um, usually what I do is I will uh, ask the musical director or whoever's in charge, uh, for the the tour or gig or whatever's coming up, I'll say, can you send me the music ahead of time? That'd be great. It'd be really helpful. I usually get a we transfer file with a, a, a just a bunch of MP3s, and I'll put them into a little folder in my iTunes and set aside some time, which is it's just like practice time for me, but it's more like office work. I'll sit around with my headphones, my my uh, tap tempo BPM metronome, a pen, a, a stack of uh, a blank. Uh, printer paper, uh, and I'll start listening to the songs and running out charts, um, top to bottom, left to right kind of charts. And uh, I don't know if this is going to show backwards or forwards on your screen, but this is a chart right here. And um, mm-hmm. this is one from you know a rehearsal a couple weeks ago. So what I do is I just uh, I write title, the artist, Move the BPM number. Right yeah, there yeah. you go. Now you can. See yeah, so well. it'll just be like you know title, artist, BPM. The sections, how long the sections are, uh, if it's eight bars, four bars, I name the sections, intro, you know, uh, chorus, chorus two, 
I'll write out the specific kick and snare patterns if I think they're relevant. You know, it has to happen this way. It's this two-bar looping pattern or four-bar looping pattern. I'll usually write if uh, there's hi-hat or a ride cymbal or open hi-hat or something like that. If, if my left hand is playing snare drum or playing cross stick or maybe my right hand's on the floor tom. I'll write if there's some breaks like a, like a, a one-bar rest or... I'll write a signature drum fill if I think it has to happen just like that. I'll write the exact drum fill out. And this is a, I would say this is a basic chart. That's a, that's... Just a roadmap chart. That's medium. Sometimes I right. get ultra specific where I write everything out note for note. And sometimes I write, you know, nothing out note for note. Like there's one I wrote out where it's just, I think I wrote out the first two bars and then said, yep, yeah, it's kind of like that for the rest of the song. You know, so... I don't get I, I don't get as detailed all the time, but so I really I really like writing out charts, even if the songs are super easy and there's no reason to write out a chart. I just write out it anyway because it's it's part of my process of assimilating information. Is I like to sit down, listen with headphones, have a pen in hand, just jotting out some stuff, doodling, and then I'll take that stack of paper and the headphones and the songs over to a drum set. And I'll, uh, you know, and I'll just uh, I have a music stand, and I'll just, you know, put it up and just start playing along, and seeing how it feels, and saying, oh wow, that song really is a lot faster than I thought, <laughs> or or that beat's actually really hard to play with one hand. I should probably play it right, left, right, left, right, left instead, or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I slowly memorize the stuff. Where at some point I just toss the charts and say, okay, I'm now off book. And I can play these songs down top to bottom. Um, and ultimately, I want to get to the point where I can play the songs without hearing them, without MP3s, without even a click. I could just sit down, hum the song in my head, and play it from top to bottom, every three-and-a-half-minute song of the whole set. Then I really know I've got it internalized. I can play it right. soft, loud, you know, um, all different ways. So I try to get to that point. Uh, obviously... Time constraints don't allow that for every gig. Sometimes I get, someone says, are you available tomorrow night? Here's 10 songs. And I'm like, ah, I might not get all these memorized by tomorrow night. Other times if I'm preparing for a, a really important job and maybe they're going to, it's a DVD that they're going to videotape and release. And eh, maybe I shouldn't have a music stand on stage. Maybe I should have it all memorized. So right. I'll, take, I'll, I'll spend some more time memorizing those gigs than the ones that were very last minute. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, next question is, uh, what do you do for stretching or warming up or eating or dieting before a show? Okay, he health stuff, health stuff. Well, I, I try not to, uh, I, I think um, anyone who knows me is I'm pretty, I'm, a, I'm kind of a nutrition fanatic and health fanatic in certain ways. Uh, and I try not to just stretch before the show or eat well before a show. I try to just live a lifestyle that's, you know, fairly healthy all along the way. I don't try to cram uh, stuff in, but uh, that being said, I, I I eat well throughout the day, with without a lot of spikes up and down, uh, you know, um, sugar or carb spikes or anything. And I try to just exercise regularly, so I always feel like I'm kind of warmed up and in shape. Mm -hmm. um, but I whether I'm gigging or not, I always try to spend a little bit of time with a pair of sticks in my hands every day. That's a, a thing I tell myself is I have to have sticks in my hands every day whether it's like tapping on the steering wheel of my car or practicing in my in my studio or 
warming up on stage during the sound check before a show. If I'm on tour, I always have you know, some sticks in my hands so my hands aren't going to, you know, atrophy and uh, and right. will always always be limber. Um, and I, I work on things like posture, so you're so I'm always trying to sit correctly when I'm on a drum throne, when when I'm driving, when I'm at a desk. Uh, Maybe I should fix my. Maybe yeah. I should fix my. It's a, it's, a, it's an endless battle. It's an I'm a, I, yeah. I love slouching. Slouching feels so good. Oh, I love slouching. <laughs> but but um, you know sometimes if you if you're always focused on your posture. Keeping your hands warmed up. Um, I'm I'm big on warming up the feet too. It's it sounds strange, but I think uh, a lot of people will spend an hour before a show warming up on a on a rubber drum pad and not worry about their legs. And then they go on stage and their hands are warmed up and their feet are about a mile behind them. You know, so I kind of you know I'll make sure I, I I you know I just I'll even sit in a chair and just bounce my legs before I go on, stretch my ankles, my um, arch arches and everything. Uh, Kind of get the legs moving because the legs are really important, and um, I try to get those involved before I play a show or before I start. I go to a studio or something. And I uh, like the Michael Carvin quote: "Most people have educated hands and uneducated feet." Oh yeah, it's 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 true. I forgot. Someone sent me some videotape of some dude playing like rudimental drums with his feet on on a on a little rubber pad with a double kick pedal. I'm like, that's some next level stuff. I mean, that's some really really great uh, kick. Kick, uh, you know, foot control. I, I try to. I mean, I, I try to keep it at a certain level, right. but I, ha- I haven't taken it to that level. I'm, uh, I, I aspire to that someday. Maybe by the time I'm 80, I'll have that type of <laughs> du- double kick, um, you know, uh, aptitude. Musicians Institute is located in the heart of Hollywood, California, and they boast a world-class faculty. They boast world-class facilities. And basically any single course that you can think of is there for you, whether it's production, percussion, guitar, bass, anything that you can think of to take your game to the next level and really make a career in music. You can learn more about their great programs and all of their great alumni by going to mi.edu. Do not forget about my other California friends, DW Drums, located there in Oxnard, California. Not only do they make great drums, they foster drumming initiatives like this podcast all over the world, and their doors are wide open if you ever want to go take a tour. You can call ahead or you can find out what days they're doing them. You can go in and see how they actually make these great drums from scratch by hand. Check them out by going to dwdrums.com. What are something that upcoming drummers should keep in mind while playing high-level gigs like the Shakira gig, and and what have been some of your biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in order to keep playing at that high level? Well, it's some it's sometimes hard to say. Like it, it's it's hard to tell people how to get a gig, like how to get a, a certain gig. It's you could tell people like how to be a good drummer and how to be available to get gigs and how to work, but you know, there are only a certain amount of really, really big gigs out there, and uh, so it's hard to exactly give someone advice on how to get that specific gig or that specific gig. But um, I mean, definitely uh, all those cliche terms like professionalism and preparedness—that goes a long way, a really long way. Being prepared, everyone appreciates that. 
like the musical director. Why those concepts continuously come up and continuously come up and continuously come up. Yeah, and you see people, you know, you know, make con make mistakes and get fired all the time on on these gigs. You know, I've seen friends and talented people get tossed to the wayside because they were unprofessional in some way or unprepared in some way and then they got blacklisted and then like you know what don't hire that guy anymore so if you could be one of those guys who's just very dependable very prepared very professional I, I think those things will go a long way and they'll they'll add to your lore of, of a, a guy who's very um, very valuable like oh you should maybe go for this guy he's young he's talented and he's just on the ball won't let you down and does a great job I mean those are the kind of people that I recommend for gigs and those are the kind of people that I think are being looked for out there uh, when when there's hey do you know any bass players who'd be available to do this tour I'm gonna send you three names of guys who any of them will slay the gig and you'll love them you know that's those are the kind of people I like to recommend mm -hmm. and and I think if you could aspire to be one of those guys and so it's not just about how well can I play in time and how well can I tune my drums and how how fast can I play how slow can I play you know how many grooves do I know those are all very important but that's the one side of it that's the learning how to play the drums play you know with a capital P learning how to play your drums the other side is being prepared and being a like a very valuable human being for a job, uh, 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 whether it's a tour, a recording, uh, you know, putting together a band, a rehearsal, whatever it is, you know, you want to be a, um, a valued person and not a detriment or, or a, uh, you know, a, an, an anchor <laughs> holding everyone back. You want to help out and be and be very uh, important. So I think uh, when you when you try to keep a nice, well balanced. Um, uh, approach to to being a a professional drummer. I think that goes a long way. I think people notice that, and they will slowly recommend you more and more uh, because mm -hmm. of those things. Sure. All right. So three more questions, and then I don't uh, mind. so so the first one is: Have you ever had to deal with any drumming related injuries? That's from Dylan. Mm. I've had to uh, deal with injuries, and I don't know if they were drumming or not because I put my body through a lot of stuff as far as I'm very active and I don't know if it, things happen because I threw my suitcase in my trunk too hard or I've been or I've been slamming rim shots playing traditional too much or I've taken too many kickboxing classes that week sometimes I don't know why my elbow is killing me or my you know uh, my right ankle is killing me I don't know where it comes from half the time but yes I'm I feel like my body's always falling apart so that's why I care about health a lot and uh, I, I'm always trying to stretch and exercise and eat well and you know eat all my right um, supplements and herbs and potions to make sure that um, I'm doing at least all I can do to try mm -hmm. to stay together. And uh, but yeah, I, I deal with it all the time. And uh, I'm I'm no spring chicken. I think when I was 17, I was indestructible. I could fall off a roof and just keep walking. But now you know I, I can hurt myself getting out of bed. It's strange. So um, I you know you're getting uh, old when you stretch and you're like, I just I think I just threw something out of my bed. Yeah, let me let me go get that coconut water. Oh my god, you know. So, but you know I, I but that's something I I aspire to be one of those dudes who's like 78 and still jogging and like uh, you know yeah. 
you know, doing all the like, I want to be one of those guys. So um, uh, I don't care how long I live, but I care about the quality that I'm living at that age. So I don't mm-hmm. care if I die when I'm 60 or 100, but I want to be in shape at whatever age uh, that happens. So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Uh, next one is from Colin. How long have you been using charts, and how uh, how can I learn to make charts on my own? What's the best way to learn? Well, that's a good question. I, I had a, a head start because I uh, I was in the uh, middle school and high school band, so I've been reading music for a while. Both first starting with like uh, you know orchestral drumming, snare drum, and I played trumpet and all that stuff. Uh, but then when you start playing big band music, if you're in like the high school jazz band, they throw charts at you all day long. And it, and it kind of is, you know, top to bottom, left to right. You just read, 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 read with figures, little rhythms. So I started to learn, you know, to memorize music by staring at a page and kind of like closing my eyes. And I'd have that photographic memory of, oh, that's what page one looks like. That's what page two looks like. So I'm not sure if there's a, I mean, you can take lessons. Um, or, or if you want to write to my website, hey, I'll, 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 give my, I'll teach you the best I can over, over online uh, on how to uh, write charts. But basically, charts are just notes. They're ways for you to uh, uh, notate and memorize uh, parts. So if there's a way that you can come up with to tell you how long the song is, how long each section is, how many measures, what the rhythms are, you know, anything will help you. Uh, there's the Nashville chart system, which is different than the big band, you know, chart system. There, there's different ways to notate how long the charts are and what the rhythms are. But um, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I I kind of got my uh, foundation from reading jazz band charts. Mm-hmm. But there's different ways to do it. Maybe there's some tell- uh, YouTube thing, but I'm not sure. Right. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I always tell people the best the the best way to learn how to read and write charts is to read and write charts. Yeah. You know, like, just sort of baptism by fire and just constantly learning it. And you get better. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And that's it. Yeah, and, and, and the, the days of being able to sight read like uh, like a madman are, those are a little bit over, too. Like, right. when I was really young, I was... I was scared into being able to be a good sight reader because people mm-hmm. said, oh, you'll never work as a drummer unless you can sight read because everyone back in the day, they all played in orchestras and they threw music in front of everyone and everyone had to know how to read. And I, right. uh, all my teachers, you know, hammered that into my head that you won't work unless you can read. So mm-hmm. I learned how to read. I don't tell students that, you know, I, I don't want to like, um, I don't want to dissuade them from reading. I think it's great. But I mean, the amount of times I do a gig where people put music in front of me, I'd say 10% of the time now. Right. You know? Yep. I have charts because I choose to write them, because I enjoy it. I enjoy having the notation there. Uh, not because, you know, people force me to. Usually right. people just send me MP3s through the mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this one is from Andrew. It says, do you have a read on the touring session scene in L.A. versus New York? I'm an L- NYC drummer, and a lot of my friends here have been moving to L.A. in the past two years. Do you think that the pop touring thing is really centered in L.A.? Hmm. Well, my off the top of my head, I would say yes, but because I've felt I've witnessed the same thing. A lot of my I'm from the East Coast. Uh, I think we talked about this in the podcast. I'm from Jersey, and I always visioned my envisioned myself being a New York drummer, 
Um, all my friends were there. I wanted to be a New York drummer. I moved to Florida, and then when I left Florida, I decided to move to L.A. instead of New York because so many of the people I was working with were working out of L.A. Um, and then since I've been here, I've been here for, geez, I've been here for 11 years now. Um, all of my New York friends are now moving out here too. So I don't have a lot of musician friends in New York now because I think there are less Broadway shows. There are less recording studios. Uh, I think rent is getting so high in Manhattan and there's no, there's no clubs. There's no place for bands to rehearse. There's, it's difficult to get your gear around. I have some musician friends in, in, in New York, but you know, they're kind of all complaining about how difficult it is to make a living over there. Uh, it's not easy in LA, but it's easier. And I do think that the music industries of LA and Nashville seem to still be flourishing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I don't think it's easy, but I do think that there's a lot of stuff happening. And a, a lot of my buddies are living in Nashville and LA. And um, and I'm here, man. It's 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 hard. Yeah, I mean, there, I yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's definitely not an easy. Th and I'm I'm back and forth between L.A. and New York a lot. So like, I sort of see the two a lot. And not to you know not to like jump in and and steal this this question, but like I I guess so. I have the New York perspective, you have the L.A. perspective, and it's I mean it's hard here. It is. It's mm -hmm. it's definitely uh, every time I go to L.A. Again, to sort of echo what you're saying, I don't walk, I don't get off the plane in LA, and I'm like, oh, it's easy here, you know, everybody's got it made here. But I do just get a sense of of it just being easier in LA. Mm -hmm. Still hard, yeah, but easier than New York. I, I, New York's getting really, really rough. Yeah, really I mean, rough. again, you have to think about cost of living. That's important. Like how. Artists can't live the way, you know, Wall Street dudes can live. You know, artists have a different, you know, uh, overhead. And um, uh, so cost of living is important, and New York and L.A. are different costs of living. The amount of music industry in either city is different right now. Um, and uh, there are great drummers all over the planet, and there are great cities to live in all over the planet. I know great people in San Francisco, Chicago, London, you know, um, all over the place, uh, but I love LA. I've been here for a while, and I think it's a it's a great place um, to set up camp. And um, there's just there's a billion musicians here, but there's mm -hmm. also a lot of jobs coming out of here. So it kind of sort yeah. of offsets itself. Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a a lot of fish in a very big pond, as opposed mm -hmm. to being a small fish in a small a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a small pond, you know? Right, right. Uh, so um, I don't want to say give up on living wherever you want to live. I have friends who are leaving L.A. and moving to Portland right now because they want to downsize a little bit. They're saying, hey, I can still work a lot in a much cheaper, more pleasant city than L.A. So uh, a lot of guys um, don't feel the need to live in Nashville or L.A., but they want to be close or they want to dip in and out or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I wish I could say maybe it's just me, though. Maybe I never conquered New York. Maybe if I were the number one dude in New York, I'd say, dude, it's easy here. But I, I, I was never the number one guy in New York. I left when I was 18, you know? Sure. So um, I, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're the, 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 um, the, 
the guy's definitely right. I, a lot of my friends are calling me up every month saying, hey, I'm thinking about moving to L.A. I'm like, you too, huh? Okay. And Yep. Well, yeah. So far, there's room for everyone. We'll see. Can't argue with the sunshine either. So. No, it's good uh, weather. So, Brendan, thank you for for doing this. Uh, we're now over an hour, so I appreciate it. Uh, I know that all the the listeners do as well. And for everybody listening, if you enjoyed this, you can catch the replay if you sign up at DrummersResourcePro.com. And there's also replays from Brian Fraser Moore, Calvin Rogers, uh, uh, Paul Wertico, Jim Riley. Uh, who else? Dylan Wissing. We did a, a whole drum miking crash course on there. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of other Eric Harlins on there as well. There's a bunch of them on there, and you can sign up drumsresourcepro.com. And again, Brendan, thank you for doing it for everybody who attended. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope that everyone got something out of this. And uh, if there's no other questions, I guess we will be signing off. Cool. Well, yeah, it's always my pleasure. I'm glad to be part of anything uh, drum oriented. So thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Anytime. And thanks for attending, guys, and we will talk to you soon. There you have it, the one and only Brendan Buckley. For the links to everything that we talk about in this episode, as well as the link to Brendan's other interview that I did on the podcast here, you can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 307. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.